just before we get into their passage, which I'd love you to keep open in Mark 8. Um, I notice I forgot. Uh, some of you will remember Joyce Heyman, who's the wife of a previous rector here. And uh, the news we've heard is that Joyce died last week. Her funeral service will be at St. Paul's Castle Hill on Wednesday of this week. And it's at 12 o'clock. And that's followed by a burial at Macquarie Park at 3.30. So Wednesday at 12 o'clock at St. Paul's Castle Hill. All right. It's a Castle Hill. If you want more details, please contact the office tomorrow. Contact the, the office tomorrow because they will have details there. So please would you turn to Mark chapter 8, and if you're using a church Bible and you've closed your Bibles, it's on page 1011, page 1011. Let's pray. Father, please help us now, we ask, please come by your Holy Spirit and work in our hearts, in our minds. Father, give us clarity in our own thinking about you, about ourselves. And Father, please, would you make us responsive to what you're saying. Help us to know how we should respond to what you say to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if this is you, but some people are serial procrastinators. You know the kind of thing, never do today what you can put off till tomorrow. Except, that's a really poor strategy for life, isn't it? And sooner or later, most people realize that it's not a good way to live. Because if you're always putting things off, then what happens is that other people are setting the agenda for your life. Have you thought about that? Because if you're just passive all the time, I'm just going to let things happen to me. I'm not going to make any decisions. I'm not going to be proactive. Things still happen. And so we end up with other people setting the agenda for our lives and the things that come into our lives. So it's not a good strategy for life. And most of us, at least at some points in our life, realize that. And we make sometimes really big decisions about our lives. And sometimes it's very scary. Some of you got married. And you, you realized five years down the track how scary that was. <laughs> what a big decision it was. The greatest decision that ever faces a human being is what to do about Jesus. What's my response to Jesus Christ going to be? Because Jesus presents all of us with a choice. Because he gives us an invitation. Anybody who wants to be my disciple can be. He says, you can come and I will give you life. You notice that that passage is about finding life. 
But the decision that we face is how do we respond? What are we going to do? And not to respond, to procrastinate, is a decision. And so I want to look this morning at what it means to make a decision for Jesus Christ. What will happen to your life if you become a follower of Jesus Christ? If you step out and give your life to him? Well, Jesus tells us here in this passage, look at what he says. In verse 34, he calls the crowd along with his disciples, so this is everybody, and listen to what he says. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. That's such a great marketing strategy, isn't it? <laughs> Do you just love that? How will my life change if I respond positively to Jesus Christ? Well, it involves denying yourself, taking up your cross, and even though we don't have crucifixion anymore, we know that that's not a good experience to go through. And follow me. And where's Jesus going? He's going to the cross. He's going to Jerusalem to be crucified. I imagine some people hearing that invitation and saying to themselves, hey, just, just a minute. Hey, my life is going really well at the moment. And it sounds as if if I give my life to Jesus Christ, it's not going to go too well anymore. So my job's going well, my family are going well, I'm enjoying myself. I don't want to lose that. So I'm not sure I want to give my life to Jesus Christ because my life's going well. Can I tell you, that is a really, really bad reason for turning down Jesus. A really bad reason. Let me ask you to think about this. Your life is going really well today. Tomorrow, you might lose your job. You've made some what turn out to be very unwise investment decisions. And so your super fund collapses. You lose all your money. Your family falls apart. And when you come back, when you go to see the doctor tomorrow, he gives you some very, very bad health news. We've seen from Ecclesiastes, bad things happen to all and everybody. So what makes you think, if you don't give your life to Jesus Christ, that your life is going to continue to go well? That's absurd, isn't it? That's a really bad reason. And in any case, what Jesus is offering is life. Anyone who loses their life for me and for the gospel will save their life. What does it benefit somebody if all their dreams are realized, says Jesus? They gain the whole world, but they end up losing themselves, their soul, their life. Jesus is offering life. Do you know? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his famous book called The, the, the Cost of Discipleship, he famously said, 
When Jesus calls a person to come and follow him, he bids them come and die. That's how he interpreted taking up his cross, your cross. And he's right, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be martyred. It really doesn't. Most people who are followers of Jesus will never, ever have to die for their faith. In fact, there are many, many people who are followers of Jesus Christ who get to the end of their life and they've been successful doctors or mothers or worked out in coals or they've been a teacher or they've been an engineer or an accountant or whatever it is. And they've done really well and they love Jesus and they're following him. That's not what taking up your cross means, that you're going to literally have to die. Jesus is promising life. But he's saying that it's found somewhere different from the kind of things that we think of as the source of life. So, if your life's going really well today, that's fantastic, but that's not a good reason for turning down Jesus. Yeah, but you say, but it sounds as if I'll have to make some sacrifices if I follow Jesus. Deny myself, take on my cross, follow Jesus. I don't want to sacrifice anything. Really? Can you tell me one worthwhile thing in life that you don't have to sacrifice for? Tell me. Just one. There isn't anything. So so you're building a career. And you're doing well. You're on the trajectory. You've had to sacrifice, haven't you? You've had to sacrifice because you've had to study. Maybe curtail some of your hobbies. Maybe you have to travel a lot and so you're sacrificing time with your family. We sacrifice for all kinds of things. If you're a mother, you're making sacrifices. If you're a father, you're making sacrifices. You make sacrifices when you get married. You don't necessarily realize that when you get married, but a couple of years down the track, you do. It's very easy to fall in love. It's very hard to sustain love in the long term. You have to sacrifice. We sacrifice for things that are important to us. So saying that I'll have to make sacrifices if I become a follower of Jesus is not a good reason. In fact, we sacrifice our lives sometimes for things that aren't worthwhile. Things that will do us harm. Jesus is promising life. Will this involve sacrifices? Yeah, sure. Like everything else, question is, is it worth it? That's the issue. And maybe some of you are saying, well, it sounds like I might have to give up things that I really like doing. I fear that if I become a Christian, I'm going to have to give up lots of things. So I, I want you to do a little exercise. In your head, I wouldn't dream of embarrassing you in front of anybody else. But I want you to do a little exercise. I want you to think of the things in life that give you real pleasure, real joy, real fun. Things that 
help you get out of bed in the morning. Just, just think about it. Don't talk to people. Could be bad for you. And then think about what they are. Let me, let me give some examples. Some of you like surfing. That gets you up in the morning, doesn't it? Some of you like other sports. You like playing tennis. You like watching soccer. Maybe you like still playing soccer. Some of you love watching England get thrashed at cricket. Are you going to have to give those things up if you can't follow Jesus? Can, can anybody tell me anywhere in here where it says, if anybody becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, they can no longer play tennis? Where does it say it? So what are you going to have to give up? Sex? Well, if you're having an affair with somebody else's husband or somebody else's wife, it would be a good thing to stop doing that whether you're a Christian or not. Because that's a really bad strategy for life. It causes untold damage to everybody involved. If you're addicted to pornography, well, it would be a good thing to give that up anyway, wouldn't it? Regardless of whether you become a follower of Jesus. Or what about lying? If I become a follower of Jesus, I'll have to give up lying. Let me think about that. Really hard. That would be a good thing to give up anyway. See, the thing is still this. The thing is this. We will make sacrifices for some cause or some person that we think is worthwhile. And yes, we may have to make some sacrifices in following Jesus, but we have to make sacrifices for all kinds of things. But here's the thing. We're only going to have to give up those things that will hold us back. And there are all kinds of things that can hold us back from following Jesus, including a whole range of good things. So what does it mean then to take up your cross? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Let's get into the text. Let's think about the context. What's going on here? Big moment. Jesus asked the question, who do you think I am? And Peter responds and says in verse 29, you are the king in waiting. That is, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the person God has appointed to be the new ruler and bring about a new regime to overthrow what's currently going on in all the corruption of Israel. And you're going to be in charge. You're going to lead an insurrection, a revolution, regime change. Now ask yourself the question, what do you need to have if you're going to be a successful king in waiting who will bring about regime change? Have a think about it. What about influence? You could do with having influence amongst the most powerful people around, couldn't you? Because if you can get them on board, they can make things happen. 
In fact, all the things that you need, like money and people, because you need money to raise an army and you need people to fight and do things, key thing is having influential people who will back you. Notice what Jesus says. He says that what's going to happen is that in verse 31, he says he's going to, he, Jesus, the Son of Man, is going to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. In other words, he's saying, I am not going to have the backing of the most important people in the country. In fact, they are going to reject me. And I'm going to die. That is not a great strategy for being a king in waiting. It's not a good strategy for a politician. It's not a good strategy for anybody who has aspirations for change. Political change. Economic change. Regime change. And Peter is appalled. And he says, basically, you have got to be joking. That's not the way to do it. And Peter is really committed to the cause of Jesus. He is willing to die for this cause. If Jesus said, let's go and take the strongholds in Jerusalem, Peter would have been out there. How do we know? Because when Jesus is finally arrested, it's Peter who draws his sword and makes a stand. And as a result of that, he almost loses his own life. He's willing to die for this cause, but doing it Jesus' way is clearly a crazy way to do it because it's about rejection and it's about death. Jesus' approach is a completely different approach. Now, what I want you to notice is this. Jesus universalizes that principle. So, so if you've got the principle, you don't do this the way the world does it. You don't listen to Machiavelli. What you do, if you're going to save the world, which is what Jesus is going to do, is you get rejected by the people who have power and you die on a cross. Now that's Jesus' job. Nobody here, by the way, has to die for the sins of the world. Did you know that? I can reassure you, beyond any shadow of a doubt, nobody here has to die for the sins of the world. Jesus has already done it. But he universalizes the principle. He says there's something about the way I'm doing my life which involves self-sacrifice, which involves not going the world's way of doing things. There's something cross-shaped that will characterize every follower of mine. And so... He calls the crowd in verse 34 along with his disciples and says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So, so what does that look like? Sometimes we're so really bad, aren't we? We just spiritualize everything. I mean, it sounds so profound, profound doesn't it? Take up your cross, follow Jesus. What does that look like? Well, I'd like you to think about it in terms of two journeys. Two journeys. 
The first one is a spiritual journey. It's a journey that will spiritually take you to the cross. And then to think about it in terms of the journey of your life. Let's take the spiritual journey first. Jesus is going to the cross to die so that we might have life. And every person who is going to ever experience the life that Jesus gives through his death on the cross needs spiritually to go to the cross. What do I mean by that? I mean it's coming to the realization that life is not to be found in things like money or family or success or even religion. It's only to be found in Jesus Christ. And so anything that holds me back from going to him and bowing my life before him, acknowledging him and saying, Lord Jesus, I recognize that you are the only one who can give me life. You're the only one who can give me forgiveness and deal with my conscience and we all need our consciences dealt with. You just have to think about your life for about 30 seconds and you will be able to come up with things that you're deeply ashamed of. We all can. Money can't deal with guilt. Money can't give you a clean conscience. And if you build your life around love, If that's your center, then what happens when love fails? Because somebody dies or the relationship breaks down. Well, as Jesus puts it, you lose your life, don't you? Because your life has been built around that person. The only person who can give life is Jesus. And so... Making that journey to the cross means I won't let anything hold me back. And there are all kinds of things that can hold people back. The gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give all kinds of examples of things that will hold people back. Many of them are good things. Some people hold back because of their job and their career and what they aspire to and say, I'm too busy. I've got too many other things. Some people hold back because of family. Some people hold back because of religion. Religion just kills people spiritually. People can hold back for all kinds of reasons. But to deny yourself means saying, I won't let anything stand in the way of giving my life to Jesus Christ. Because I recognize that life is found at Calvary where Jesus died for me. And because of his death for me, I can experience life and therefore I will give my life to Jesus Christ. That's a spiritual journey and it involves a decision. Involves a decision. That's the spiritual journey and now there's an outward journey. There's no something different to get up for in the morning. I don't know what gets you out of bed in the morning. 
Um, my wife fails frequently to get me out of bed in the morning, and she tries very hard. Um, we have two alarm clocks. It doesn't work. <laughs> but I don't mean that. I mean, what's the thing that motivates you? What is it that inspires you? What keeps you going? What do you live for? What gets you out of bed in the morning? In that sense. When you've been to the cross, when you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you realize that your life has a new center. And that center is Jesus. And he's the most important person in your life. Everything is centered around him. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. He says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I count everything as a loss. I would be willing to give up everything for Jesus because he means everything to me. It's not that I want to give up whatever it is. I don't want to have beatings, which Paul did. I don't want to suffer, but I would rather experience that if it's necessary because Jesus means everything to me. See, that spiritual journey to the cross gives a new center to your life. It, it means something like this. The alarm clock goes off, and you're going to work, and you're not getting on well with your boss, or maybe you are the boss, and you're not getting well, on well with the boss. There are all kinds of issues that you face. There are always issues to face. But you say to yourself, today, is a day that Jesus has given to me to live for him because he's the center of my life. He is my love. He is my life. He is my everything. That's what it means. Notice what Jesus says. He says... If anybody, in verse 35, if anybody loses their life, he talks about people losing their life for me, for me. A Christian is somebody who finds their life centered in Jesus and says, my life belongs to you, Jesus. I give my life to you. But look at how he goes on. It's a life lived for Jesus and it's a life that reaches out to people. Anybody who he talks about, people give their life for me, verse 35, and the gospel. You give your life for Jesus, for the gospel. What does it mean to give your life for the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news about Jesus, of who he is and what he's done. He's died on the cross for us. To give your life for the gospel, it means you give your life for the cause of Jesus. What's the cause of Jesus? To give his life so that people can have life. There's a new cause in your life. 
It's not just about getting up to do work. It's not just about getting up and being a mother or a father or a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter. Important as all those things are. Getting up really early because you're ready to go on holiday and enjoy yourself. Fantastic. But now you have a deeper purpose. You're willing to live your life for the cause of Jesus, for the gospel. And the gospel is for people. And so you're willing to tell people about Jesus. Because how are they going to hear if you don't tell them and I don't tell them? Just how's that going to happen? We give our life for the gospel. And not only do they need to hear about Jesus, they need to experience the gospel because we give our lives for them. We live for others, not just ourselves, not just our immediate concerns, but we give our lives for others. Notice the pattern, that's what Jesus did, isn't it? He gave his life for others. And you know the key thing in all of this? I've sometimes asked myself the question, actually I frequently ask myself the question, why are we often so poor at evangelism that is telling people about Jesus? Have you ever wondered that? Why, why are we not so good at it, many of us? Some, some are really good. But many of us, I think, would probably say we're not really very good at it. Why are we bad? Well, there are all kinds of reasons. There are all kinds of reasons. But at its root, I think it's an issue of passion. It's an issue of love. Maybe you can remember when you fell in love. As I say, it's really easy to fall in love. It's very hard to sustain love. But just remember when you first fell in love and your life just changed. You were a new person. And the relationship you had with the one you loved was private. It was yours. But you remember you wanted people in some way to celebrate with you, to experience the joy. In fact, you couldn't hold it back. So you would walk into a room and you had this huge smile. And once up until then, you'd had what I called once before, but and almost going to trouble for, resting bitch face. Yeah, you know, so people looked at you and thought, What's he, what have I done wrong now? You have this beatific smile on your face. And people say, what's happened to Graham? Or whoever. And maybe you were able to share something of the joy that you experienced. It just came out. And it's a bit like that with Jesus. When we're passionate about Jesus, when we're captured by his love, it changes us. So it's a bit like falling in love as a human being, but it's also different. Here's the difference. When you fall in love with somebody, you may want people to experience something of the joy you experience. You certainly don't want to share the one you love with them. That's private. That love is uniquely and privately yours. But with Jesus, it's different. The love that we've experienced is for everybody. So we're not just saying celebrate with me because Jesus is my everything and I've come to experience a love 
that's greater and more profound than any other kind of love, we're also saying, this is for you as well. I'd love you to share this. At the end of the day, I don't think we're poor at evangelism because we're afraid or even because we don't know what to say. Both of those things can be true, but they're not the underlying reason. I rather think that when we're captured by the love of Jesus and we're being changed by him, then it spills out. And it demonstrates itself in a passionate love for other people that makes us want them to know the truth about Jesus. If anybody wants to be my disciple, they must take up their cross, follow me. So, are you a procrastinator? Never do today what you can put off till tomorrow. Where do you stand in terms of Jesus? Making a decision for Jesus. If, you, if you're convinced, or at least have come to be sufficiently convinced that Jesus does offer life, that he did die for you on the cross and you haven't committed your life to Jesus, what on earth are you waiting for? Why would you waste another moment of your life? That's crazy. You may say, well, I'll do it tomorrow. Well, you don't own tomorrow, do you? But in any case, if it's not compelling enough today, what makes you think it's going to be compelling tomorrow? We need to make a decision. I'm going to do that now. I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a decision about Jesus. For some of you, you've already made that decision, so I want to encourage you this morning to say thank you, Jesus. And perhaps give me a new love for you, a new energy, a new drive. Maybe some of you have drifted a bit. Some of you may have drifted a lot. So this is an opportunity to come back. For others of you, there may be some of you saying, today I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ. In a moment I'm going to pray a prayer. Before I do that, I'd like you all to take out these response cards. I'd like everybody to fill them in, please, whether you've been coming for a million years or not. Um, We'd love to have your details. There are pens coming around. It will just help us in terms of making sure that we have the correct details to be able to contact you and know who you are. So... There's a space for name, for email, for mobile phone, and then for an address. So I'd love you all to fill that in, please. If you need a pen, please put your hand up and somebody will bring something. So if you just fill in that information at the end of the service, We'll send some baskets around you. Just pop them in the, in the basket and we'll collect them all.
And now I'm going to pray a prayer. And the prayer is going to go something like this. And it's specifically and particularly for people who are saying, today I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ. Or as I said, maybe you've just drifted such a lot and saying, I'm coming back today. So I'm going to pray a prayer that goes something like this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that you died on the cross for me. And I recognize that that's where life is to be found in what you've done for me. And so today, I want to respond to your invitation by committing my life to you. So if you could just interrupt your filling in of the form, just wherever you've got to, just please would you all bow your heads. I'm going to pray. And some of you may want to echo what I'm praying because you want to commit your life to Jesus. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, you died on the cross so that I could have life. Real life. Life where I'm forgiven. Life where there's a relationship with you. Life where I start a new chapter. Where I begin a new journey for my life with a new purpose, with a new love, with a new hope for the present and the future. You died on the cross, in fact, so that I could have my life, my real life. And Lord Jesus, I want that life. And so today, I commit my life to you. And I trust you in what you've done. And I trust you for today and tomorrow and for whatever the future holds for me. Because I know you've done this for me. So today, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. Amen. If the musicians would like to come up and as they're coming up, if you could finish filling in your details, if you haven't completed all of the information about emails and so on, and you'll notice too, there's a little box and it says, today I commit my life to Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to tick the box. And that will be helpful for us because we want to help you as much as we possibly can. So please tick the box. And as we sing our final song, there are going to be some baskets that come around. So please would everybody just put the cards into the basket. If you'd like to give us the pens back as well, we'd be very grateful to you. But we're going to stand and sing. When I survey the wondrous cross.